0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. On each of the last three Sundays, Jesus has compared the kingdom of God to a vineyard. First, we had the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, in which the workers came to work at different times of day, some in the morning, some near the end of the day. And strangely, the owner of the vineyard pays them all the same amount. Next, there was the parable of the two sons, in which a father asks each of his sons to go and work in his vineyard. And the one son says, He will go, but doesn't. The other says, He won't, but does. Finally, just last Sunday, we heard the parable of the tenants, in which a landowner plants a vineyard and leases it to tenants, but when he sends his servants and even his own son to collect the produce of the vineyard, the tenants mistreat them and kill them. Now, all three of these parables occur toward the end of Matthew's gospel, shortly before Jesus is arrested. And in all three, Jesus is giving a warning to the leaders of the Jewish people. He's saying, watch out. You've been working in the vineyard of Israel for a long time, but that doesn't mean my father can't be equally generous to those who come late in the day. He's saying, watch out. You think you're good sons and would never disobey your father. But what if you're really all talk and no action? He's saying, watch out. I've come to collect the produce of my father's vineyard, and that's why you're going to kill me, the son, just as your ancestors killed my father's servants, the prophet's. Now, if we had just these three parables to go on, we might be tempted to think that God's kingdom, symbolized by the vineyard, is all about one thing work, work, work. We might be tempted to think that the Father is just a big taskmaster and start to feel sorry for the laborers. But, of course, that would be a mistake because we will be ignoring all of the other parables. All the parables are necessary because each one gives us a different angle on God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is like many different things. It's like a mustard seed, for example, or like leaven in a batch of dough, or like a pearl of great price, and so on. In today's gospel, just after suggesting the kingdom is like working in a vineyard, Jesus tells us it is like something quite different. In fact, he says it is like rejoicing at a wedding feast. The kingdom of heaven, he says, may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Two very different things, right? Working in a vineyard, rejoicing at a wedding feast. This sounds better already. A wedding is more like it. But we might wonder who is getting married here? Well, we're told the groom is the king's son, and the king's son is pretty clearly Jesus, right? God is the king, the king's son is Jesus. But what about the bride? Who's she? Although Jesus doesn't give us an explicit answer, we get a big hint from the Old Testament. The prophets, if you recall, were always talking about how God had espoused his people Israel to himself and how he remained a loving and faithful husband to her no matter how many times she was unfaithful to him. So do you see then what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, I have come to consummate, to bring to fulfillment this marriage covenant between God and his people. In fact, Jesus is the marriage between God and his people because in him God has become man. In Jesus, divinity and humanity are forever married, forever joined in an unbreakable bond. And this bond potentially includes all men and women, both Jew and Gentile. St. Paul says, Jesus is our peace who has made us both one. And has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, reconciling both, both of us to God in one body through the cross. So the wedding feast is about the marriage between humanity and divinity in Jesus. And that's why there can be and there must be a feast. And the feast, what is the feast? The feast is the church. The church is the wedding feast to which all are invited, in which the nuptial graces of the incarnation are poured out on any and all who will receive them. Isaiah's prophecy in our first reading today is fulfilled. On this mountain, Isaiah says, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast of rich food and choice wines, juicy, rich food and pure choice wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples, the web that is woven over all nations. He will destroy death forever. That's the feast, the church. But what is the condition of entry to this feast? There is none, aside from the recognition of our own need. The king says, go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find, good and bad alike. That sounds like the church, doesn't it? In St Luke's version of the parable it is the poor and the crippled the blind and the lame those in other words who must who most realize their own need for spiritual healing the spiritually blind and poor the spiritually crippled and lame it is they who are especially drawn to this feast those on the other hand who are too preoccupied with worldly pleasures or ambitions and are thus blind to their own spiritual sickness, they can't see any use in this feasting. Maybe they're even embarrassed by the rather uncouth qualities of the people they see trooping off to join in the fun. Jesus says, after all, that some ignored the invitation. They went away one to his farm, another to his business. So much for entering the feast. Now, is there any condition for remaining in the feast? There is none, aside from remaining in God's love, which is symbolized in the parable today by the wedding garment. The wedding garment symbolizing God's love or sanctifying grace. This wedding garment, we must remember, we must always remember this, is not of our own making. It is a free gift of God, the fruit of our Lord's love unto death on the cross. It was the mistake of the Jews, many of the Jews, to think they could earn this gift Think of those laborers who were indignant that they got the same amount as the laborers who came at the end of the day. They thought they were earning God's love, right? Well, we too, were subject to this temptation, this kind of presumption, this turning of the gospel on its head. But if we are sane, we know that Although we can take off our wedding garment, we cannot put it back on again without begging for the grace of contrition and repentance. The grace of contrition and repentance. Thanks be to God that he, in his great love and mercy, has provided a remedy even for our folly and stubbornness in the sacrament of confession. In confession, God can turn even our sins into means for our growth in humility and love. And then, with joy and thanksgiving, we can continue in the feast. As the psalmist puts it in our psalm today, I shall live in the house of the Lord I shall live in the feast of the Lord all the days of my life.